second week of our series called Dig Deep. It's the longest series we'll have, 12 weeks long. And uh, last week we kicked it off. If you weren't here, um, we uh, talked about building our lives on the rock and uh, the difference between that and building our lives on the sand. And what we did during kind of our quiet time of worship is we came up and we wrote down something on a card like this one, something we want to get handled in 2014. And so if we have an anger problem, if we have a patience problem, if we uh, have a relationship we want to get figured out, we write it on this card. This is just between you and God. You write this. 2014, I would like to get this addiction handled. I would like to get this, the way I think about this or whatever it is, just something that you want to get handled in 2014. And you can draw a picture. You can write it. We're not going to see it. And then it goes into one of these envelopes that has your address on it. You write your own address on this envelope. You put the card in there. You lick it. You put it in the box in the back at the end, and we will mail this to you in six months, and there'll be a sermon where we're going to talk about exactly how the last six months went and how the next six months are going to go. Then, when you're done doing that, if you haven't done, if you didn't do it last week, you can go into this shovel, and you, I mean, in this bucket, and grab a shovel. And you can place this anywhere you want, in your, at your work, on, in your car, on your fridge, whatever it is that has to do with the decision you made to remind you over the time. So mine sits, mine dangles off my computer bag because uh, I bring that with me wherever I go. And so, so if you missed that last week when we have communion and we come up for communion, go ahead and participate in that. Just write down your thing as God puts that on your heart. Put it in your envelope, put your uh, address on it, grab a shovel, and then at the end of the service, you can put that in the box with your connection card and your tithes and offerings, and then uh, you take the shovel with you and put it wherever you want. So that's what we did last week. This week, um, we're going to start uh, talking about some of the things that we're going to be handling over the next few weeks. And before we move into these next weeks, I want to kind of open your eyes to something that, um, you know, maybe some people have a handle on in their lives, other people don't. Uh, there's been long stretches of time in my life where I didn't have a handle on this, I didn't understand it. And then as I began to grow in Christ, as God began to reveal things to me, as I began to get into healthy relationships, uh, these things were, were opened up to me. And one of the things is the fact that we all have a story, right? I mean, I, I, Adjua uh, just told you her story, kind of just a very small, real fast about how she came to Christ when she was six. God has had her, his hand on her all this time. She went to uh, Africa for a couple years. She's a musician, and that's what she does for a living other than what she's doing here and all these things. And I have a story. Grew up in New Jersey till I was 11. Alcoholic family, total turmoil. And uh, when I was 11, my parents had come to Christ. My dad worked on Wall Street, used to make great, great money. Uh, he sold everything, uh, and well, through the alcoholism, lost everything too. Uh, came to Christ, got in a, a U-Haul and an Oldsmobile Omega, and we drove across country so he could go to seminary to become a pastor. So uh, when I was 11, between the time I was 11 and 12 years old, there was radical change in my family. We were in a wealthy neighborhood. We went to a dirt poor neighborhood. Uh, I went to a school in which I was the majority. My skin color was the majority. I ended up in a school where I was absolutely the minority. And so uh, all, all this kind of stuff going on. Fortunately, our poverty helped me get into college because if you're poor, it's better. Uh, trust me. And um, 
And so uh, I met uh, my wife, Lisa, for the very first time when she was in the eighth grade. At her eighth grade graduation, she gave a speech. I had little stars in my eyes or whatever. We ended up going to high school together, and um, I ended up tricking her into marrying me. And uh, we've been married 25 uh, years in August. So um, that's my story. No, it's great. Great story. And you, you, we could all do this. I did that in a minute. I mean, we could all do that. And if we were at a cocktail party together and you, we, you'd catch on to something of my story and you'd say, New Jersey, uh, my uncle is from uh, Witchy Witchy Kaka, New Jersey. Do you know him? You know, whatever. And we'd kind of try to get that going or you'd talk about being a pastor or all this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, that's just part of my story. Those are the, you know, kind of just the facts, ma'am, part of my story. There's another part of my story that happens, the narrative that's played out in my daily life because of what's happened in my life, my insecurities, my struggles, my fears, what I would call success. All of those things are actually the real story of who I am. As a matter of fact, we could all tell our stories and, and there might be uh, two of us who have very similar stories, maybe a, 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 a failed marriage and then a new, a new marriage or a, a, a maybe some wayward children that haven't come back yet or, or all that kind of stuff. And we might, by the facts, have similar stories and yet we're handling them totally different. Have you ever noticed that? You'll meet somebody who's been through a tragedy and you meet another person who's been through a very similar tragedy and one just can't keep it together and the other one seems it's like it didn't even phase them. These are the narratives and the sub-stories that are happening in our lives. Now, here's the exciting thing. God has a story. God has a story. You can read about it in the Bible, but it's just part of the story. In the Bible, it starts out with Genesis, and in the beginning, uh, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and then there was sin, and that kind of broke everything, and then God had a people she brought with Abraham, and blah, blah, blah. You can read the whole thing, and they go, and they get into bondage, and they go across the desert, and all this kind of stuff, and then Jesus comes. But that doesn't really tell you God's story. Like, what was it like before creation when it was just the Trinity and you guys were just existing before all time? What was that like? <laughs> like God is so much bigger than just the story we read. Now, here's the thing that we're very, very interested in living, at Living Spring. We are interested in your story. We're interested in the first marriage. We're interested in the wayward children. We're interested in the job. We're interested in all those things. But what we're mostly, mostly, mostly interested in is how your story intersects with God's story. How your narrative intersects with the living God who created you and has a story for you. Has a narrative for you. The fact of the matter is we are shaped by our stories. We're shaped by our narratives. We were in a small group on Friday night and we started talking about this. Tell me about your story. And so some of us added some things and we started talking about these narratives that happen, these ways of thinking. And I just said, tell me something about you. It's a little bit deeper than just, hi, my name is, and this is what I do. And that's, we began to see the narratives that happen. I'm not very creative is what somebody said. One person said, I don't have a job. I'm a loser. 
Now these, these are the stories. These are the narratives I want to talk about this morning. The things you've played over and over and over again in your mind. As a matter of fact, we're going to get a little scientific. So for those of you who love science uh, like I do, um, as you, uh, most of you know, we have a son uh, who has epilepsy and we're around neurologists all the time. And the brain is just fascinating. I, I mean, the brain is the, the more I study it, and I, by I mean study it, just listen to somebody smart talking, uh, not actually study it because... My brain explodes when I do that. Uh, my idea of, uh, uh, you know, studying the brain is in one of the neurologist's offices, there's this like brain puzzle with the, how the little pieces fit together. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But neurologists actually understand the brain. And this one uh, neuropsychologist, his name is Donald Hebb, he uh, has this thing called um, Hebb's axiom. And uh, not, not to get all fancy on you, but those are just neurons and, and, and you don't need to worry about the picture or be able to read it. It just shows you that I'm like really, really intelligent, uh, even though I don't know what any of those pictures are. But the, what I liked was the little rhyme down at the bottom. This is Hebb's axiom. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Okay, like that's more my science, you know, that I can understand. Neurons that fire together, wire together. And here's the thing that happens in our brains that's just so amazing and as you study the brain how you cannot believe in God I don't know but it's just it's an incredible unit it's chemical it's electrical it's biological it's just like this fascinating thing but what happens is as we begin to uh, run the program in our brain over and over again those neurons actually cluster to make it more efficient so that it can fire faster and, and they wire together to make it efficient to be able to run the program. So let me give you an example. Um, if I were a concert pianist here, I could come and I would play this wonderful song. And maybe I'd, maybe I'd do one of those runs. You know, up and down the thing like Liberace. Not quite like Liberace. But anyway, um, you, you know what I'm saying. And so, um, and so what happens is my brain, imagine if I had to do that run and think to myself, okay. Um, fire this muscle just a little bit so that my finger can move over here. And then this finger at the same time is getting ready to press on that. And don't forget to breathe. You got to breathe or you're going to die. And okay, I need to make my heart go. Okay, here we go. Your brain doesn't do that. Your brain is efficient. It, as you practice that scale, the neurons that fire together, wire together, and you begin to be able to do that scale faster and faster and faster until you become proficient at that and you're not even thinking about it. It's the same with a language. I'm speaking English right now. I'm not thinking to myself, okay, say I, I am not, am not thinking, thinking to myself. It just comes out. And because I'm ADD, it comes out real fast. Um, but those are neurons that have wired together. Now listen, this is all great if you want to be able to play guitar really well or piano really well or speak really fast. That's fine. But what if the program you're recalling to run is a faulty program? What if you believe something about yourself that's incorrect and you keep saying, run program, run program, run program, and those neurons wire together and they fire together, and all of a sudden you have a narrative, a story about yourself that isn't true? What if you believe something about yourself and it just fires just like that because that's just kind of the way it got wired from however you were young or whatever, and those are the things that just happen. 
These messages keep traveling down the same thing. And here's the thing that happens in our life. Because they're so quickly recalled and they happen so fast, we don't even question them. We don't slow down to stop and go, is that even true? Of course it's true. It just happens. It runs so fast. We think of things like, I'm not successful. Here, here's just kind of a weird way this plays out. Uh, have you ever met someone who said, I'm clumsy? Okay, so you'll meet someone, they'll go, oh, I'm so clumsy. I don't have good motor skills or whatever. I'm clumsy, I'm clumsy, I'm clumsy. That's the thing that just rolls in their brain. Now, if you go to somebody and you have a little tennis ball and they say, I'm clumsy, and you throw them the tennis ball, they're going to drop the tennis ball most often. And you know what they're going to say after that? I'm clumsy. Because as the tennis ball was up in the air, their brain, which is wiring and firing together, goes, oh, no. It's a tennis ball. It's a tennis ball. This, this is going to show again the fact that you can't catch. You, can't, you know, the ball comes again. You're trying to get it. Ah, it gets on your fingertips. Bam, 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 bam. Heb's axiom. Neurons that fire together, wire together. The person who's real confident about the tennis ball, the tennis ball comes up, they're like, <laughs> caught it. All right? Why? Their neurons are wired that way. Now, some people are more dexterous than others. But this is what happens. Oh, no. There's that person. Oh, oh, man. Run program. Oh, you get all tense. You get nervous. You get angry. Oh, there's that thing. Oh, there's that topic. Oh, man. Run program. Run program. Run program. Traffic. Arr, run program. You know, like, like kind of this whole thing. Now, uh, oh, the other thing that's really cool. I just, I just saw this on the internet. So, see so that neurons that fire together, uh, wire together. And then there's another one. Neurons lose their sync lose their link, okay? So it's just a little rhyming game that I love. Here's the problem. It would be all fine and good if our narratives were framed by a biblical worldview, by what the Bible says. But our narratives, if we were to go around and kind of start talking about them, are framed by culture. So I, I put this little picture up here about success. Uh, uh, because you too can own the face of uh, pure accomplishment. If you could plug that back in, that'd be awesome. Uh, but it's that little kid who's just, you know, this idea of success. We have this underlying desire to be valued, to be respected, to be admired, to be loved. And so we say, I'm not successful, or in our small group, I'm not creative. We should add I'm not creative, as creativity is defined by our culture. See that? I'm not successful, as our culture has defined success. That person that said, I'm a loser because I don't have a job, was working from a framework of culture that says, the better job you have, the better person you are. I don't speak very well, and so... I'm not really that great at, that's from a culture that says, oh, the better you speak, the smarter you are. When intelligence has nothing to do with how well you speak or what kind of job you have. And your value has nothing to do with how much money you make or how you look. But these are all things that are framed within our culture and they become so, it's almost like you just, you wouldn't even question it. But they're the things that, at fire. And I want to read, do three little perspectives of this and how this kind of fleshes out and then we'll uh, look at some scriptures and how they work. Three perspectives from our narratives. The first perspective is what we think about ourselves. Now these narratives 
can be great if you want to, like, like you know what? I'm, I'm like self-made. Everything I have, I've made it myself. I've done, it my, I've done it on my own. And that might be your narrative. And it might feel awesome. So it's not just, I'm a loser. It might be, oh man, I, I'm, I'm a go-getter. I'm a self-starter. I can achieve anything. That's just what you think about yourself, what we think about ourselves. The next perspective is what we think about God. I made it all myself. I don't need God. Or I'm in this place of need. Where is God? I believed in God. And then the final one is this one, what God thinks about us. Isn't that amazing? We talked about in the beginning that God has a story. God actually has a story. God could tell you his story. He could say, on this day, this is what I was feeling. This is what I was thinking. When you were born, the day you were born, this is what I felt about you. God thinks about us. Now, what we take with that, about that fact, tells us about ourselves and about what we think about God. One of us might say, God thinks about us, and if he thinks about us, why am I in this predicament? Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he warn me not to marry him or marry her? Or why didn't, why didn't he intervene when we had uh, a, a, uh, this disease enter our family? Or why didn't he do something about this? Well, that goes to number two, what we think about God. Or we might go, you know what? Of course he thinks about me, and of course I'm in this predicament. I deserve it. I've made nothing but mistakes. That's what we think about ourselves. Now, all three of these, for it to be true, have to be true. We have to truly be able to look into ourselves and say, this is the type of person I am. One of the examples we use is this. Uh, if I were to say, uh, do you lie? You would say, well, yeah. I mean, you know, if the time presents itself where I really need to, I lie, you know. You're a liar. No, I'm not. <laughs> a liar is just one who lies. And you just said you lied. You're a liar, right? It feels weird, right? But these are the types of true things we, we start to analyze with ourselves about God. Jesus would break these false narratives. That is the good news. He is in the job of breaking these false narratives. He did it all throughout his ministry. Nicodemus came to him and Nicodemus said, you know, tell me about the, you know, the kingdom of God. And Jesus just stops. He goes, you know, you need to be born again. You need to remove everything you think about what it means to have a relationship with God and start all over. And Nicodemus, because of his past, because of who he is, because of what religion said it should look like, went, how can, this, how can these things be? And Jesus says, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, everything's, everything's possible. A rich young ruler came to Jesus one time. Guy had tons of money. And he says to God, uh, says to Jesus, what, what must I do uh, to enter, to have eternal life? And Jesus starts off with basically the narrative that he was used to, you know. Do the law, you know, do the Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the guy says, oh, man, I, I did that since I was a little boy. And Jesus said, okay, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Let's see what's going on right in here. You find a lot of value and a lot of worth in the stuff you have. It, it's really everything to you. It needs to be removed. We need to stop that narrative. You find your identity in your wealth. 
Now we could go around the room and begin to analyze and what I'm hoping we'll do this week is we'll begin to see in our lives all the times we go run program, <laughs> run program, you know, and we'll begin to analyze it. Why, why, why am I feeling this way? Why do I look this way? Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He's so concerned with the inside of what's going on and not the outside, whereas culture is much more interested in the outside than the inside. Jesus went to the Pharisees one day and he just said, you guys are just dummies, is the Greek word for what he said. He just said, you're so concerned with the outside of the cup and dish. He says, you blind Pharisees, first clean the inside. Now watch, then the outside will be clean. You got to get to the truth about you, those narratives. What do you think about you? What are your insecurities? What do you think gives you value? Does it match with what God thinks about you? If not, it has to be removed. And Jesus is in the business of removing those things. Let me show you real quick this. I love this quote that we have. If your understanding of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you. Think about that. Let that soak in for a little bit. William Temple said that. If your understanding of God is radically false, if you see him in a way he's not to be seen, the more devout you are, the more you're going to miss that mark. And the more, listen, you're going to be living and I'm going to be living the way God doesn't want me to live, the way I wasn't designed. God, we are created in God's image. God wants us, him worshiping him, what? In spirit and in truth, the way he actually is. Now, here's the lofty goal of this series and what we're trying to get uh, as we go through the weeks. The goal is to know and love the God Jesus knows. Okay, if you look at Jesus's life, okay, again, we won't get into the whole theology of Jesus being God at the same time, but Jesus the man, the, the God incarnate, knew his heavenly father, knew the heavenly father, knew him perfectly, Understood in every situation what God would have him do, what his heavenly father would have him do. Our goal, as best we can do for the next few weeks, is to get us as a people, even if you're brand new and you're just trying to think about God for the first time, get this sense of which God do I believe in? Who is this God? And we're hoping we'll drive you to the God that Jesus knew, thus becoming like Jesus. That's the goal. Now, here's the false narrative we're going to talk about this morning. The false narrative that we can change by trying harder. The narrative is so embedded that, in fact, even as I say it, you might be thinking to yourself, don't try. Just do it. <laughs> like, like, don't try. That doesn't make sense. You mean just give up? No. The false narrative is that you get better by trying harder. What we're going to see in a little bit is that this is not true. The, the, this is not in Scripture. The biblical model is fruit. The biblical model is lives that are, that are, that are lived, if you're living your life the way God would have you live, there's fruit that comes out of you automatically. It is natural. I don't know if you've ever been to a fruit tree that had no fruit and you walked up to it orange. We have an orange tree in our backyard. It just has tons of fruit. But if it didn't, and I walked up to it and I just said, give me some fruit. There it is. Oh, good. That tree just tried its hardest and fruit came out. That is not what happens. 
But we do this to each other all the time. I do it to myself all the time. What did I do that for? Okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or, okay, okay, from now, okay, New Year's resolution, I'm having my quiet time every day. I'm having my quiet time five hours a day, every day. No, okay, five minutes a day. Okay, I'm going to have it, you know, whatever. 95% of all those things fail. Trying hard doesn't work. We're going to watch the Super Bowl today, uh, at least anyone who's a Christian. And, um, <laughs> and uh, we're... we're uh, the quarterback for the Denver Broncos is Peyton Manning. You've probably seen him in the, in the yeah, yeah, he's y'all and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is Peyton Manning's third Super Bowl. He, he lost the last one, but he won his first one. It was in the rain. And he was going against the quarterback, Rex Grossman. And, and the difference, one of the big differences in the game is that Rex Grossman kept fumbling the wet football, okay? Peyton Manning never fumbled the wet football, and so uh, that was a big deal in the game. And so imagine you're at halftime and uh, you fumbled the ball twice and your coach comes to you and says, okay, team meeting, you know, it's halftime. We got to change some things. Stop fumbling the football. Stop dropping it. And you go, I wasn't trying to drop it. Just stop it. Try harder not to do it. Okay. And you go out and you drop the football. And it drops again. And you go, oh, this time I'm really going to try. You mean you weren't trying before? No, I was trying before. Oh, but now you're really going to try? Now, why did Rex Grossman drop the football and Peyton Manning didn't drop the football? The reason is throughout the whole season, part of Peyton Manning's routine would be to have Jeff Saturday, his center, snap him water-soaked footballs so that if it ever rained, he would have the practice, the discipline of being able to handle the situation of water-soaked footballs. That is how we grow in Christ. It's not to try harder. Oftentimes, trying harder just embeds the embeds the narrative that was false in the beginning. Now, again, I, I, I hope this makes sense. I want to read to you just the, the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. This is the vision God has for your life, okay? In a nutshell, if, if God were to tell his story and he, was, he would see how his story intersects with your story, this is how he wants it to come out. That you would be someone who's filled with love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is God's vision for you. Now, you look at that list, okay, and you go, oh, okay, I'm going to be patient this week. Oh, there, I got some fruit of patience. It's not how it works. The way we're patient is we practice patience. You go, man, what's all this about? Over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to unpack. How do we practice these things? How do we get to a place where we've, we've had some disciplines in our life, some spiritual disciplines? Just so you understand, I read a great quote this week. Listen, spiritual disciplines are not righteousness. 
Like you have your quiet time every day and you fast and you pray and you do all these things and so you're more righteousness. Spiritual disciplines are not righteousness, they're wisdom. There's a big difference. So it's not the more you do this, the more righteous you, you are. The more you do these exercises, the more you begin to kind of stop and slow down and look at the narratives and then begin to put something else in practice, the more you'll be able to take water-soaked footballs when they happen just naturally in life. And so he says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There, there is nothing that's going to uh, stop those things. Once they're in place, it's fruit. It's just happening. Um, we're going to look at a section of Scripture right now that kind of gives us some light. Just three very short verses into this. Because in the coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at an attribute of God that He's loving. And then we're going to look at the narratives in our lives that need to be removed some of these false narratives. And then we're going to have a practice that we can do during the week and hopefully throughout our lives so that when the time comes, the fruit of love will already be there because we've disciplined ourselves for godliness. We've had that wisdom. Okay, so let me just, uh, yeah. Verse uh, 3, 1. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. This is your position if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said, you know, I'm in, I'm in. I, what he did on the cross, I understand. I, I was in a position where I didn't have access to God. Now I do, I'm in. This is your position. This might be the very first narrative you need to get into, rewired into your brain, losing the other things. You are raised up with Christ. That's your position. Again, the spiritual disciplines or whatever we call them, soul training exercises or whatever goofy thing we decide to come up with, those don't make you righteous. You're there. That's your position. Since then, we've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Maybe your verse, your Bible says, keep seeking the things above. This, set your hearts or keep thinking, seeking the things above. This is the new vision for your life. In Christ Jesus, a life filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Keep seeking those things. That's where your vision is. Like the concert pianist. The concert pianist, their vision was not, I'm going to run scales for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. No, they pictured something beautiful, something creative. They pictured themselves being able to play a sim with a symphony or whatever it was. That's the vision. This is what God has for us. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Vision fuels intention. It doesn't go the other way around. Unless you have a vision for your life, the vision God has for you, you're going to be spinning your wheels in false narratives the rest of your life. If your vision is to be successful, God bless you. You're doomed to failure. Because that is not God's vision for you. And you can see kind of how these, these narratives are difficult to get rid of. Let's take this one. We have a friend, her name's Cindy. Uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say her name. No, that's not really her name. <laughs> okay, we have this uh, friend, Cindy. She's in this horrible relationship. She's single. She's dating this guy. The guy's weird. And she knows it. She knows the relationship's unhealthy. Now, here's the narrative in her mind. This might be the best I can get. 
This might be all I can do. Because of my past decisions, this is probably what I deserve. Those are just a few of the narratives that go on in her mind. And so when you talk to Cindy and she gets this kind of light of clarity for just a split second and you go, you got to get out of the relationship. You got to get out of the relationship. Here's what she would say to you. I'm miserable in the relationship. If I get out of the relationship, I'll be alone. I would rather be miserable with somebody than miserable alone. Now listen, doesn't that seem crazy? And yet, can't you kind of understand where she's coming from? That's a false narrative. Now what if your heavenly father, her heavenly father comes to her and says, you don't need to be miserable at all. You can have joy and love and peace and purpose. You can get through life with a, a, a peace that surpasses all comprehension. And, and, and Cindy would say, yes, but you might be single the rest of your life. Oh, no. Why? Because culture throughout our whole life has valued being together with somebody and married couples are just worth more. False narrative. Or pick the success one. I just want to retire. I want to have enough money. I don't want to have to worry about anything. I don't want to be a burden on my kids. X amount of dollars, blah, blah, blah. I want it. So you strive and strive and strive. And at work, you're scratching and biting. And you don't like someone else getting a promotion because that's a promotion you should have had. And when bonuses come out, they got to figure out and all this kind of... Uh, and God says, wait, 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 wait. You, that's not my vision for you to be striving and anxious and all jacked up like that. You know, you don't have to do that. You can be free from that. Would you like to be free from that? Oh, I'd like to be free from that. Okay, but you're going to have a mediocre job, a mediocre house, a mediocre car. Your life is going to be financially mediocre. Oh, I don't know about that. My value is based on my status. False narrative. Here's one last one. You've been injured by somebody, wounded Somebody who's hurt you really badly. Friend, relative, name it. A a workplace that's just mocked you or what have you. And you just, you got that feeling in your gut. Have you ever had it when you've been wronged? And here's the ultimate underlying thing. Justice has to be done. It has to be set right. It has to be set right. And so you hear that person's name and you get all, and you go and you're, and you're, get so upset and it's just run program run program man I just and then the only time you're happy is when you hear something bad about that person you're like yeah justice justice is gonna roll down like thunder thank you Lord finally and the Lord says listen stop you don't have to live like that you can be free would you like to be free yes I would like to be free forgive them they owe you nothing forgive them Uh, I don't know about that Set your hearts on the things above. Then he goes on. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. These are the narratives we're talking about. Rewiring the mind. Why do I feel that way? What's happening right now? Why am I impatient? Why is the fruit of patience not being manifested? Why is the fruit of love not being manifested? What programs are running? In order to change, we have to first have this idea of our heart changing, setting our hearts on the things above, then our minds changing. This was the very first thing Jesus said when he came. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, change your mind. Metanoia. Have a shift of perspective. 
And he goes on, he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is such beautiful language. That old stuff is dead. The need to have retribution, dead. The need to have success the way culture defines it, dead. The need to be, be in relationships the way culture defines relationships and adds value to it, dead. Your life is hidden. He's got it. And he's got a vision for it. And he wants it to happen naturally. He doesn't want you striving and trying. This is why he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You don't have to keep going at it, at it, at it. You have to come and rest in me. But the very first thing that needs to happen is you need to have this change of mind. If, as um, Adjua comes up, I just want to read it. Another section of scripture is very, very famous. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, the idea of what success is, what value is, what love is, all this, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your false narratives. What is the vision God has for you? That you will be able to test and approve what God's perf- uh, good and perfect will is. Here are some things I just love for us to get out of our minds. Instead of this, I want to be a better Christian, get that thing out of there. Start to begin to analyze your thoughts, your actions. Why do I feel this way? And ask your, to make this your thing. I want to be more like Jesus. Being a better Christian, that could mean anything. Being more like Jesus is definable. 